Welcome to New Testament Topics with Brother Elliot Maloney, a Benedictine monk and professor of New Testament Studies at St. Vincent Seminary, Latrobe, Pennsylvania. This is Brother Elliot, and this time I'd like to talk about the evangelist Luke, this wonderful writer of the New Testament who not only expanded the Gospel of Mark, similarly to the way Matthew did, by adding the document Q, sayings, but he added an awful lot of his own material. Plus, he decided to write about the earliest part of the church, the very first um, events that happened to the very same disciples who were ordained by Jesus, who were set up by Jesus to receive the Spirit. They did receive the Spirit, and they began the ministry which of the kingdom, which of course we call the church. So let's look now at this person, Luke. Who was he? Who was Luke? We don't know. There isn't even a an early um, uh, legend about him, as Papias says that Matthew wrote in Hebrew and Mark was the disciple of Peter. There isn't anything in Papias about Luke. No, we get this from the ancient manuscripts which add Luke's name. Sometimes they say, according to Luke. Sometimes they say, the, the gospel of Luke. Sometimes they say, like Mark, they're copying Mark's gospel, the beginning of the gospel according to Luke. So you can see that there are many different tries at giving an author to this basically anonymous gospel, like all the gospels are anonymous. We don't really know who wrote them. Um, now, there is a person named Luke in Paul, and this is probably where they went to get a, a name to, to, to uh, establish an op, op, apostolic authenticity to the gospel. You see, in reality, we would say the authenticity is guaranteed by the Holy Spirit, of course, and by the obvious reception of Luke in the church. But the early uh, writers uh, and copiers of the manuscripts in the second century decided that they better put a, an quote-unquote apostolic name. Now, Luke wasn't an apostle, but in uh, Philemon, Paul says that there is uh, a person named Luke in his entourage. And then later, whoever wrote Colossians says that Luke was a beloved physician uh, of Paul. And so we have this person, Luke, uh, now giving the attribution of writing. But who was he? Well, we, we know 
that he was a very, very excellent writer of Greek. We know that he was pretty well educated because he certainly understands how Greek history writing was done. So although he's really writing a bios like Mark and Matthew did, writing their gospel, that is a bios means a biography in the ancient sense, uh, he uses a prologue, which we'll look at in a minute, to show how very uh, professional and authentic his writing is. He, he's, he's possibly uh, a um, contemporary of St. Paul, uh, a later contemporary of St. Paul. He would be pretty old if he were contemporary. But, you know, in Acts of the Apostles, he does not acknowledge that Paul is an apostle, something that Paul was very vehement about. He doesn't mention anything about Paul writing letters, which is rather surprising. Um, so m m maybe he knew Paul, but the point is he is not somebody who, who, who um, wrote the gospel because of Paul's input. Doesn't, does, certainly does not seem. Where was this thing written? Well, we don't know. It's written to Greek-speaking people. It seems to be a, a city dweller, uh, and they're not poor. Um, uh, the poverty doesn't seem to be. As a matter of fact, Luke has a kind of a, a problem with people who have wealth, that they have to spare, spend that for the community when in need. When would the Gospel of Luke have been written? Well, Probably since it copied Mark. And if we give the date of 70, around plus or minus, to uh, the Gospel of Mark, we need time uh, for the Gospel to have uh, become popular and spread around and become obsolete. So that Luke could say, well, yeah, Mark is very good. I am going to take the basic outline of it. But what I'm going to do is add a lot of teaching and a lot of my own material. So just, just so you know, I think it's interesting to see uh, how this works. Um, Luke uses only two-thirds of Mark's gospel. There's a big section, it's called the Great Omission by scholars, a big session, section in part one of Mark that <laughs> is a kind of a duplication, it's a kind of a doubling of um, uh, of a series of stories. I think Mark Luke thinks that's kind of redundant. He doesn't use it, he drops the whole thing. So Luke uses two-thirds of Mark. He adds Q, if that's 220 verses, so that's about 20% of Luke is from Q. And then he adds an enormous amount of his own material. That's, we simply call that L, his own material, about 530-some verses, or almost half of Luke's gospel is an addition of his own, his own work. So what is the gospel of Luke? Well, first of all, it's the, it's the first volume of a two-volume set 
that we often call simply Luke-Acts, the second volume being the Acts of the Apostles. Now, we know that it's the same author because of the similarity of style and the similarity of point of view and the similarity of language ability. Both Luke and the Acts of the Apostles have a prologue in which uh, it's very clear that Luke is writing this two-volume because he says in Acts of the Apostles, he simply starts out in his prologue by saying, um, in the first book, Theophilus, I dealt with all that Jesus did and taught until the day he was taken up. And so he's going to go on. Theophilus, of course, is the same patron or imaginary patron that uh, Luke uses for the both in the Acts of the Apostles and in the inscription of the book of the Gospel of Luke. Um, okay, so it's a bios, it's a uh, kind of biography story that is written to show the values and the excellence of the hero. Uh, and so that's what uh, Luke does very, very effectively. Uh, why? Well, the prologue says that, and this is chapter 1, verse uh Three, four, in order that you may realize the certainty, he's speaking to the Christians of this community, you may realize the certainty of the teachings that you have received. You see, it's a kind of an affirmation that, yes, what you have heard and know is the real thing. He'll say, Many have undertaken to compile a narrative. So here he's obviously telling us he's using sources. He says he uses eyewitnesses. He says he has investigated everything accurately anew. See, he's going to write it up properly to write it down in a proper orderly sequence for you, most excellent Theophilus, this real or imaginary patron that every writer of history would have had in those days so that you may realize the certainty in other words to 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 um, to reinforce the faith of the community of Christians in Luke's ambiance and to do it by telling the story of Jesus and showing how what they do and what they believe and what they see as God's plan going forward is exactly coming from Jesus, okay? So, now, let's realize that Luke is countering or contradicting the status quo of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire at the time was a tremendous propaganda machine. Um, It's, but Luke has Jesus clearly, and he emphasizes this. In other words, this is part of the way Luke is, is shaping his description of things, that, that Jesus counters 
the patronage system, you know, where the big power people have all the power and everybody just does what, whatever they want with no regard for anybody else. It uh, counters this honor at any cost. Uh, the, the, especially the people in Acts really dishonor themselves by doing dangerous things and taking a risk that no Roman citizen would want to do. Um, the patronage system of the Romans despises the outcasts. They're the losers, see? They, they, they have no honor. Uh, the patriarchy, the subordination of women in the Roman Empire was very, very strong. Uh, and Luke particularly counters that with actually even adding extra stories of women, miracles to women, uh, teaching to women in, in, in doublets with stories from Mark and from sayings from Q uh, about men. Uh, the hoarding of resources, you know, this avarice and materialism of the Roman Empire is very strongly uh, uh, attacked by Luke. Wealth is not a good thing if it is ill-gotten, or even if it's your own, you have to use the excess for the poor. Okay, now let's just look through the Christology. I think this may be uh, of great uh, importance. Jesus is presented as the universal Savior. He is the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant uh, of the true fulfillment of the Jewish religion, because that's important for the Gentile readers. See, the Roman uh, ethos has an idea that you have to have an ancient religion. You can't have a new upstart religion. So Jesus and, and all the disciples, they're all very good Jews. Jesus was circumcised. Everybody keeps the law and so forth. It's very important to see in Luke that this part of his apologetic is that Jesus was a very good Jew and the true messenger of salvation from God. He's the great prophet who spoke the message, and here's the message, peace and forgiveness of sins. This is what everybody in the ancient world was looking for. The God of the Old Testament continues to bring salvation to Israel, but Israel now includes the Gentiles, all peoples of the world. Jesus is the true Messiah and uh, uh, the one predicted by the Jewish scriptures. He's of the house of David. And he is born like predicted by Isaiah, chapter 7, 14, of a virgin. He is the one who is going to fulfill the prophecy. Now, this being uh, 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 born of a virgin, virgin is very strong in Luke. It is evidence of God's regard for uh, a simple girl, uh, a poor girl without family of any note. Uh, but God can do it. God can use her to bring forth a great son who will be called great and Lord. 
and who will be God's own son. The uh, Spirit, of course, enables Mary then to prophesy and to talk to Elizabeth and to give her beautiful Magnificat poem where she says God reverses, the real God reverses the abject poverty uh, of the unpossessing and, and throws down the pride of the rich. Um, the Holy Spirit overshadows Mary just as the cloud overshadows the disciples at the transfiguration, all of which has God directing disciples of Jesus, participants in the kingdom, to do the saving words of what God of God's will, to be in the kingdom. The image of God's overshadowing reflects God's saving presence in Exodus when the cloud overshadowed the tent of meeting of the Israelites and the glory of the Lord fulfilled it, showing the path of Exodus to the promised land. Here it is, the path that God wants. The Holy Spirit comes upon Mary in similar fashion to the Holy Spirit coming upon you that Jesus predicts for the uh, disciples in, uh, in Acts 1.8. The same word. Uh, for Pentecost, for, see, their part in bringing about the kingdom. Generosity is a great, important virtue of Christians after their faith, their, their simp- strong uh, acceptance of what Jesus did and commission commitment to live like Jesus did. And finally, the necessity of prayer. Jesus prays Luke shows Jesus at prayer many more times. Every time Jesus does anything important, the baptism in the Jordan, calling his disciples, decision to turn to Jerusalem, the agony in the garden, and even on the cross, he forgives uh, the soldiers that are killing him, and then he says, I commend myself to your spirit. So Jesus is very distinct in Luke, and Luke is trying to show us Overall, how God worked through Jesus to fulfill the religion of Israel in opening to all the Gentiles in the very valid uh, movement that we see in Acts of the Apostles, which is the Christian church. This is Brother Elliot Maloney. Thanks for listening in today. See you again on New Testament Topics with Brother Elliot.